0: I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. I entitled this sermon, Do Not Love the World, which probably tips you off to the verse we're about to read together. But let us give ear to the reading of God's holy and inspired word, starting in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The grass withers and the flowers fall but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, our holy God, open my mouth, open the mouth of your servant that I may proclaim your gospel with boldness as I ought. And Holy Spirit, convict all of our hearts with the the word of Christ. Equip us through the word that we may be ready for every good and perfect work that you've called us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I said, my my sermon title is maybe a little bit too on the nose. Uh, Maybe it's just underwhelming. Certainly, I could have been a little more creative with it, but I didn't want to do anything that would take away from the, the central focus of the passage this morning. Simply this, Christian, do not love the world. And my concern, dear saints, is that as Christians, we can read these words to uh, glibly. That's such a great word, glibly. I had to look it up to make sure I was using it correctly. It means uh, we can read these words with, with full confidence that we understand it, that we follow it, and yet we give very little thought about the weightiness of these words and about the application of them. In context, uh, in the the previous passage that I looked at with you last time, uh, John was speaking to us like a loving father. He was speaking to us tenderly, assuring us, his children, children of God, uh, and encouraging us about our standing before God. And then here in our passage, he switches his tone and speaks a, a stern prohibition. Do not love the world. Now, the Scripture's speak so often of love that these words should jump off the page at us. Do not love. Don't love. The, the entire letter of 1 John uh, addresses the topic of love more than anywhere else in Scripture. The word love, along with all of its derivatives, it's used 51 times. And only once, only once in all of them is it not spoken of in a positive sense. All except here. And our passage is the one place where John stops and says, do not love this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. That might strike us as odd. Aren't Christians supposed to be characterized by love? Aren't we supposed to be known by our love? Aren't we supposed to love our neighbor? Isn't love the fulfilling of the law, as Paul says in Romans 13? And Jesus, he takes it even further, teaching us in Matthew 5.44 that we are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And what about the world? John, uh, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Well, That sounds like a, a bold contradiction. So, how are we to understand this verse? this prohibition that John gives in light of everything else in Scripture. If we are to submit ourselves to the the full weightiness of this command and and, and seek to apply it to our lives, we we need to understand the the stark contrast that John is setting up for us, Uh, the contrast between the love of the world and the love of God, the contrast between uh, the things in the world and the things of God, and the contrast between the Passing reality of the world and the lasting eternity of God. So that's what we're going to uh, be focusing our attention on. But we begin by asking the question what in the world does John mean by world? The Greek word for world, cosmos, sounds similar to how we say cosmos. Cosmos has some similarity to how we use the word world in English. In English, we can use it to mean people. We can use it to mean the earth itself. We, we can even use it to refer to culture. And, and just like in English, we use context to establish the meaning of the word. There are only three rules you need to remember to uh, exegete and interpret Scripture, and it's context, context, context. Pretty easy to remember those three rules. So, when we compare the context of our passage to, say, John 3.16, it becomes pretty evident that the word world is not being used in the same way in these passages. After all, the Father is not in sin for loving the world. He's not in sin for sending His Son to redeem the world, because John 3.16 is referring to the people of the world. It's written in a positive light to express God's plan of salvation for His people. But the context in the letter, 1 John, the context of our passage is entirely different. And we can see that it's speaking of the world in a negative way. John says in his letter that the world is a realm that does not and will not recognize Christ. That's 1 John 3, one. The world despises people who follow Christ, 3.13. The world is influenced by false prophets, 4.1. Influenced by the Antichrist, 4.3. And inf- under the influence of the evil one who is in the world, 4.4. 4. The world ignores the teaching of the apostles, 4, 5 through 6. And in a sense, John says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, 519. Therefore, in this letter and in our passage, the word cosmos, world, is not referring to people in need of saving. Rather, John's using it in a theological way to, to express the whole godless system that is in place today, that is in rebellion against God. The world in this sense is uh, the antithesis, the total opposite of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, the God's kingdom, it's a system of ruling heaven and earth through the God-man, Jesus Christ. But the world is a system of rebellion against the lordship of Christ. Now, the contrast between the world's system and God's rule is so stark that John goes so far to say in verse 15, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You cannot love darkness and love the light. You cannot love the world and love God. And that's an important point to stop and reflect on. Love can be sin." And it doesn't matter how deep or sincere or authentic your love may be. If love is directed towards the wrong thing, love is sin. And Christians, we need to be clear on that, especially in today's world. So, when we see John's command, his prohibition, do not love the world, he doesn't mean we should stop loving the world in general. We should still love the beauty of the earth and give thanks to God for it. We should still love our neighbors, even our enemies, but Christians ought not love the world. It is an absolute dichotomy, an absolute antithesis. They are total opposites. You either love this world or you love God. Now, John is speaking to Christians, and certainly as Christians, John knows, Christians are those who have been brought out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God's light. John knows Christians are those who love God and not the world. But John also knows that Christians are still surrounded by the things in this world. And so John doubles down in verse 16, and he doubles down on that stark contrast, making it clear that the things in the world are not from God. And what are those things that we are to avoid? John says there are three things the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, commentators, they, uh, they give different nuance to what these individual items on this list mean, but their main point is always clear. This list is a, a, a shorthand for the comprehensive catalog of the sin that remains within us and within everybody, and it's the list that we must struggle against. The word desire, when we look at desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, uh, desire itself, the word can be a positive thing. Uh, for example, I desire to be a better husband. Uh, my, li- my wife, full of love and grace, uh, sometimes uh, will point out that I'm not the most observant person. Nathan, she would say, How can you not notice all the dirty laundry that's all over the house? I, I don't know, I-, I just don't see it. Um, and she says, Nathan, you, you literally had to step over the laundry to go up and down the stairs multiple times. How do you? So I desire to be a better husband, to love my wife better. I desire to know God better. I desire to honor him, to love him. So, desire in and of itself isn't a bad thing, but the word used in our passage, uh, the Greek epithemia, uh, almost always in scripture has a negative moral connotation. It's perhaps. Better translated as craving or lust. It's that gripping feeling in your heart when you want something you know you shouldn't, but you want it so bad it hurts. And the desires of the flesh and of the eyes, that that encompasses the entirety of your being. These desires, they, they grip you, they make you its slave, a slave to the desire to indulge in material, earthly pleasures, bodily pleasures. Flesh that is in the grip of such desire, it's subject to its whims. It becomes the slave to food and fornication, luxury, pleasure, and ease. And likewise, eyes that are in the grip of this desire are slaves to wanting more, to wanting the things they see and yet do not have. And the pride of life that expresses the attitude of refusing to rely upon God, and boasting in what you have. The pride of life is this attitude of self-dependence and self-glorification, which is a a great and tragic irony. Because what is in the world makes you think you're the master, when in reality you become the slave. The self-dependent, self-glorifying attitude is a grand deception, because in reality the world has you in its grips— You are slave to your desires. You are chained by the things in the world and what it has to offer. And it's at this point we remember John is speaking to Christians. Do not love the world or the things in the world. That's addressed to you and I, brothers and sisters. How many of us would consider ourselves slavishly trapped to the world's desires? How many of us would uh, consider ourselves uh, prideful of ourselves or... Our possessions. Yet, Christian, dear Christian, you must not be blind. I must not be blind to the fact that I too, you too, can be tempted by these very things. I think, particularly, the temptation of self dependence and self glorification. It's an easy one to be blind to because Christians, as Christians, uh, we, we can often take pride in abstaining from material indulgences. We can take pride in the fact that. I don't do X, Y, Z as that person, or X, Y, Z as that person. I I watch what I eat. I I watch what I look at. But brothers and sisters, avoiding worldly things is not only a matter of external behavior. You may be good at avoiding sexual sin and overindulgence, but worldliness is an internal problem. Just as love is an internal affection, so too are desire and pride Internal feelings. The things of the world and things in the world that John has in mind, they aren't things that are external to ourselves. Rather, John's making us look in at ourselves. The dark world that rebels against God is not only at work outside of us, but it has a power in us, in people's hearts. And the things in the world, these are gifts that lead to death. The three items on this list, the These are gifts that the worldly system sets up and uses as traps to trap the Christian. It's the same gifts that trapped Eve back in the garden. Genesis 3.6 says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the desires, the lust of the flesh, and that it was a delight to the eyes, the lust, desires of the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life, when she saw these, She took of the fruit and ate. These are the things in the world. They are not from the Father. The Father gives entirely different gifts. The Father gives new life, new desires, a new heart. He writes His law in our hearts so that we can obey God. As John says in 1 John 2, 8, the new commandment is true in Him, in Christ, and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. These are the things that are from the Father. But notice how even John admits that there is a remaining darkness. The new light is indeed already shining within us, but we have not been made perfect yet. We have not yet been glorified. We have not yet come to resemble perfectly our resurrected and ascended Savior we still have indwelling sin and are tempted to sin. And that's why when the world presents and promises all the goods that it has to offer, that's why they, have, they can still have lingering power in our hearts. But we must remember that the power of Christ in us is stronger still. Adam and Eve succumbed to the world's gifts, but Jesus, the second Adam, overcame these temptations. When Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness. He he offered him bread. He offered bread to the starving man, but Jesus rejected it, refusing the desires of the flesh. Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and told Jesus he could have them if he would just worship Satan. But Jesus refused what his eyes saw. He refused the desires of the eyes. And Satan tempted Jesus to reveal himself as the Son of God by telling Jesus to throw himself down off the pinnacle of the temple, so that the myriad of his angels would bear him up, thus revealing him to be who he is, the Son of God. But Jesus refused this. He refused the pride of life. Jesus chose hunger. Jesus chose lack. He chose humiliation because he came to do his Father's will. 1 John 4, 14, the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world, to save, to save a people who are lost in darkness, out of love for you, dear Christian, the Father sent his Son. Beloved, out of love for you, the Son endured all these things. And by faith in Jesus, you too can overcome the world. 1 John 5, 4-5. Indeed, as we saw months ago in the last passage, because of Christ, you have already overcome the evil one. What this means then is that John's command, do not love the world is really a command to overcome ourselves through Christ. John does not want our faith to be choked by those internal gripping desires that come from the world. Rather, as Paul puts it in Romans thirteen fourteen, you ought to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And that's why I don't want you, brothers and sisters, to read these verses glibly, Genesis 4, 7, the Lord spoke to Cain and said that sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And that's still true in us. There is sin crouching at the door, but thanks be to God that in Christ, we can rule over it. We can overcome it. There is a battle within our hearts, for our hearts, for our love, but in Christ, we can win that battle. Therefore, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, let us not deal with the world as though let us deal with the world as those who had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. And this leads us now to look at verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now this verse it continues to uh, make that stark contrast between the worldly system and God's kingdom. It makes the contrast even starker. It solidifies one more reason why we ought not to love the world. Simply put, do not love the world because it won't last. For the Christian, uh, this verse more not only does it set that stark contrast, but it also uh, is a means of encouragement. And it gives us a path forward as we struggle against the things in the world. So first, John says, the world is passing away. That doesn't mean simply that the, the earth is growing older and that its end is approaching. Nor does it simply mean that the world is transitory. Both those things are true, but uh, this verse has something more specific in mind. Remember, John has a specific, uh, a theological idea in mind when he says, world this worldly system, this present evil age is characterized by evil and is being brought to an end. It is being made to pass away. Remember, the the light, it's already shining, and the darkness is passing away. And and just as that light, uh, that darkness is being repelled by the light, so too this world is being repelled by the inbreaking of the kingdom of God into history. This inbreaking of the kingdom of God began when the Son of God took on flesh, becoming both God and man. And the reason he appeared, 1 John 3 8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And don't we see that in his ministry? Jesus came casting out demons, curing the sick, even raising the dead, but that was only the beginning. We saw how Jesus suffered the temptations of this world, the temptations of its desires. But Jesus, in coming to destroy the works of the devil, knew that in order to do so, he had to suffer the powers of this dark world. And we see that in that garden. When the people come and arrest him, he says to them, this is your hour in the power of darkness. Luke twenty-two fifty-three. 53. Darkness covered the land as our Savior hung, bloodied and bruised upon that cross. And there on the cross, Jesus died. Though he did not give in to the desires or pride of life, he had to eat of the fruit of death which they give. Jesus, the Son of God and man, died. The light of the world snuffed out. But this was according to the Father's will. Paul says in Galatians 1-4, that our Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Now, did you catch that? Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins and to deliver us from the present evil age. Those two go together. When Jesus was resurrected, his body marked the beginning of a new age. His resurrection marked uh, the first of many resurrections. His body is the first to be resurrected, and all those who believe in Him will be resurrected with Him. And His ascension into heaven marks the beginning of the end of this present evil world. When He ascended, He sent to us the Helper, the Holy Spirit, to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, John 16, 8. And He goes on to say, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. This, dear saints, is the light of the world, which is already shining. It is Jesus Christ, the forerunner and the firstborn of the new age, who is reigning even now from heaven and is working to make all things new. Jesus is the rightful King of heaven and earth to whom every nation owes allegiance. The nations of the earth, Psalm 2 says, are His heritage, the ends of the earth, His possession. And as the gospel goes forward to the world, people begin to experience the new birth. The light begins to shine in and through them to the world so that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church that Christ has built. And thus, this world, this present evil age, is being made to pass away day by day as Jesus shines his light into the world. That is indeed good news. That is a great comfort for the Christian to remember, especially at the times when we look around and we still see the present darkness, because this worldly system of darkness is still here. The kingdom of God is established. The victory is won, but the world is thrashing against it. It is rebelling against the Lord and His anointed, Jesus Christ. We see this Every day in our culture and on the news, the world says love is love. So long as it's authentic love, it's a good thing the world says. The world says that sometimes the loving thing for a mother to do is to murder the baby in the womb. The world despises the Christian church for saying otherwise. The world says that the gospel of salvation in Christ alone by faith alone, they say that's hate speech. And so many churches today, they're drinking that Kool-Aid. The church, so many churches have abandoned Christ, their first love, and have loved the world and the things in the world. But as we've seen, you cannot love the world and love God. You cannot love the darkness and love light. You cannot love this present evil age and love the new age that has dawned in Christ and will be brought to its full consummation in the end. So do not love the world, brothers and sisters. It is passing away. The Prince of Peace has already secured the victory, and of the increase of his government, there will be no end. And though the worldly system may kick and scream, we as Christians have an obligation to share the love of God, to share the gospel to a people who are trapped in darkness, trapped by their desires. They still need to hear the gospel. As John said earlier in 1 John 2, 2, Jesus, the righteous one, is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours alone, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so, we love our enemies by continuing to share the gospel with them. Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish theologian, once said that to love another person is to help them love God And people will learn what love is as they learn who God is. That's why it's important that we share the gospel. And as we put on Christ to overcome our desires, we teach and encourage others to do likewise. And that is my prayer for any unbeliever who is listening to this, whether you're here or listening online. If you are listening to this and do not know the love of God, I pray that you will abandon hope of finding love in this world. Because the love that this world offers is empty. It only leads to death. But the love of God is greater. And he loves you too much to leave you trapped in the devices and desires of this world. And your sin is not so great that he cannot and will not forgive you if you believe his son. So give up. Give up on your self-confidence and vain self-glory. The way of the world and its loves lead to death and you by yourself cannot pull yourself out, but Jesus can. He has overcome the world so that by faith in Him, you too can have the victory. And if you have come to trust in Christ, how then ought we to live? In contrast to the the world that is passing away, John calls us to live according to the will of God. He says in verse 17, whoever does the will of God abides forever. And brothers and sisters, this is the love of the will of God, that you would love him and trust in his son for salvation, that you would walk according to his word by the power of the new life that he has bought for you. 1 John 2, 5, whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected. Should that not be our prayer, that the love of God would be per- perfected in us, that our love for God would overwhelm every other lesser love, that his love would be perfected in us so that we would no longer love unworthy things. Augustine of Hippo, in a prayer, uh, spoke to God saying, Oh, love ever burning and never extinguished, my God set me on fire. Set me on fire. Oh, that we were a church on fire with the love of God, a church who no longer loved the world or the things in the world because the love of God is so great. Have you not yet understood how great his love is for you? Have you not yet surveyed the cross of Christ? As the hymn says, let us look to the cross and pour contempt on all our pride. Let us look only to Christ, to him crucified, to him resurrected, him ascended. May his love inflame our hearts with a holy passion for Christ." that will never extinguish but live on into eternity as we live eternally with Him. In conclusion, the world will try to entice you. Your sinful flesh will try to lure you away from your God. Your eyes will desire worldly pleasures, and the world will present numerous occasions for you to put yourself in the place of God. But John's command It's a line in the sand. Do not love the world. Do not give in. You have come to know the Father and overcome the evil one and the world. So, do not return to the dying, sinful things of this world. Abide in God. Abide in His love, and He will abide in you. Follow His commands to love as God loves, and you will abide into eternity. And in that place— there will be no more conflicts of loves. Your glorified flesh will crave the heavenly pleasures. Your eyes will desire the goods of the new creation because both your eyes and your flesh will know that their fulfillment is in Christ alone, who is the new creation, who is the new age. And your only boast in life will be that you belong to such a Savior. Praise be to God. Let us pray. Father, please, we beg you, wean our hearts away from the things of this world. Give us the spiritual milk and the the feast of your word so that we will grow to love you more and more. Satisfy our hearts' every pleasure in Christ. May he alone be our affection, our joy, our life, and our hope. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.